0: Don't read my diary when I'm gone. Okay, I'm going to work now. When you wake up this morning, please read my diary. Look through my things and figure me out. Kurt Cobain. Whoa! That's what we're doing today. We're doing a Kurt Cobain bio. You know that from the title. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um... Kirk Cobain's been a huge influence on on both of our lives, I would say. Oh yes. I was personally obsessed in high school with Kirk Cobain. I I felt I knew him on a spiritual level. And like uh to a degree, as much as I believe in such things, I still do. You know? Yeah. I I believe less in that feeling feeling now which is a weird thing to say but I still have that feeling. Yeah. Um
1: it's kind of like magic, you know. As a kid you really believe in magic. As an adult you're like there's potential for magic. Yeah. But there that belief is lessened a little bit.
0: Right. Or in mine's it's not even lessened it's just restructured. Yeah. I, I talked about in uh, a previous episode uh how like when I when we play music, that's magic for me. When I hang out with my family, it's a great night. That's magic for me. If I play video games with my son, that's magic. But, like it's it's a restructured philosophy on what magic feels like and is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, to that degree, I feel linked with Kurt Cobain. Uh, so I, yeah, I really. On a personal level, feel related, yeah. Kinda like, so we're both born in, or both live, raised in Washington, smaller but not the smallest kind of towns. Um, the like, okay. Let's 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 just get into his life. He huh? yeah, was, it was yeah. born uh, February twentieth, nineteen sixty-seven, in Aberdeen, Washington. Um, yeah to Wendy and Donald Cobain. Um, his full name is Kurt Donald Cobain, because dad was an American dad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I honestly don't even know if Donald Cobain is still alive. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> <laughs> damn. Um, Just damn. <laughs> do you think he actually, like, pays attention to this anymore? I mean... I'm
1: not sure. Maybe. I mean, I, I, if, if he's still alive, then yeah, I would assume so because Francis is out doing her own thing now well, and yeah.
0: whatnot. So I'm sure he's got you know some part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Francis is like our age, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, a uh, fun fact: uh, his parents got married in Coeur d'Alene. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, that's just a couple hours north of us. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right close. Yeah. Um, the The cool thing about Kurt Cobain um, being so famous and um, like also dead <laughs> <laughs> like it's not cool that he's dead, but part of that is that like people really care about what happened in his short life. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm I'm uh, just kind of skimming the Wikipedia article for this but you you can't edit the Wikipedia article it's it's uh tamper proof basically yeah. and so it's there's just a lot of information this has all of his ancestry information I'm not going through that <laughs> I don't give a shit about that if I'm being totally honest <laughs> but it's it's really neat to there's just a lot of information about Kurt Cobain and all of his family now. Yeah. Um, well, because I mean, when Nirvana started, that first album came
1: out in '89, 89 I believe. Yeah. yeah, and like from like it just blew. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry about the sound, guys. <laughs> just blew up from there, just like entirely. And when you have, I don't want to call them like a flash in a pan. Even it, it kind of was because it was a, not a very long stretch of time that yeah uh twenty seven years well, I mean for the for Nirvana oh, as a yeah. band, for yeah. them to be in that limelight five for, years. for five years, it's not such a short amount of time. It's not like they were a one off or a one hit wonder, so I kind of hesitate to call them a flash in the pan kind of kind of band, but t- to get that much fame and that much exposure that quickly, and then to just have him pass away and and just be done just that quickly it really it creates that um it, what's it like um like famous artists have that happen a lot where no one cares about their art until they're gone, and then right. everyone
0: cares right, but everyone cared about nirvana and then he died while they everyone cared mm-hmm. and so the that combination of things really makes it so like Nirvana's never, ever going to go all the way away, as long as we have records of music. And they changed the face of what music
1: was, at least, I mean, for a few genres. They changed the face of what
0: music was, what it could sound like, what it could be. Yeah, they redefined what could be on the radio. Yeah. Uh, They inspired All of our favorite bands to keep going, NoFX, fucking Bad Religion, Uh, any punk band from the 90s will cite Nirvana as a huge influence because they made it possible to get power chords on the radio like that. Yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, Chuck Berry played power chords, but, like, not like Kurt did. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, there's, yeah. So, um, he...
1: I I always think of the, sorry I cut you off, I always think of the, the... The feedback and stuff. Yeah. Before Nirvana was around, feedback was not a huge part of the radio. It wasn't part of songs that were on the radio. You might get a couple of like dive bombs or high-pitched noises out of metal songs in a whammy bar. Right. But just the incessant feedback that he was so masterfully able to pull out of his guitar and his amp and, and make it sound good, That that was unheard of being on the radio. Right?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, they, his family claims that he started singing at age two. (laughs) Every kid sings at age two. It's, it's such a weird thing. Like, if you're a musician, oh, he was so, it was so cool, he started singing when he was, uh, like, if you're not a musician, oh yeah, he sang songs when he was two. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Everyone did. I I got my first guitar when I was about two. Yeah, so it's. Those things are weird to me. It's weird to point stuff like that out. Like, mm-hmm. um, but he, he did definitely show an interest in music and a sustained interest in music from a young age. Um, and uh, though he would deny things like this later, he definitely loved old pop songs. He had numerous accounts of listening to Beatles records and, like, uh, fuck... Uh, it's got Terry Jack Seasons in the Sun, which they ended up covering. Um, the Monkeys, he mm-hmm. used to love the Monkeys as a kid, like so. The, I always—that's another thing I think is weird—is when people are like, "No, I don't listen to that shit," and like that influenced you a lot. Right. <laughs> I still listen to the Beatles. And I like the Beatles. Yeah. Old I, Beatles. I yeah, I like it. I like I like the Beatles. <laughs> um <It's> carte blanche. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh one of the biggest impacts on Kurt's life was his parents' divorce when he was nine years old. And you can hear this in lyrics in like uh Francis Farmer, uh yeah. and like uh Serve the Servants. Uh there's there's multiple references to big divorces or big splits. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um Big cheese, a big cheese, make me, can
1: I can't do I knew that. that was a bad idea. I knew, I knew as soon as it left my mouth that I had made a bad decision.
0: But it was too late to take it back. Um, yeah, so, uh, he really, um, before the divorce, it seems like the family life for Kurt was awesome. Like, he really liked the family structure. And uh, he seems to have fought and tried to get something like that back his whole life without ever being successful. Um, It was just a couple years later that he started to get major stomach pains, which you can relate to. I
1: definitely can,
0: yeah. Um, He he would um, say throughout his career that um, those... Intense stomach pains were not only what led him to drugs, but also led to the the pained sound in his lyrics and music. Yeah, um, you find any way to try to get rid of that fucking pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, so, the, yeah, it would lead to you know later heroin in, uh, abuse and just general alcohol abuse when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that stomach pain would be an incessant driver for Kurt his entire life Uh, it also is probably a big influence on stuff where uh, he really was interested in anatomy and what came out of the anatomy Mm -hmm. Um, like especially vomit uh, infected anything he would write about pus Uh, there's a Oh uh there's I can't remember the name of the song right this second, but the there's there's the line and now I vomit cum and diarrhea on the tile floor like oatmeal pizza.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines. It's a good line. But that's that's pretty indicative of like his his fascination with the body and mm-hmm. with his own body. Um and so, when, yeah, so after his parents' divorce, um, he, his father had promised never to remarry. He'd promised Kurt that he wouldn't remarry, and he did. He Oof. did pretty quickly, actually. <laughs> um, and he never felt like connected with his stepmom. I think they tried, they had family nights and stuff. They really tried to make a family unit out of what they could. Yeah. Um, but it was it was too big of an adjustment for Kurt, uh, as far as i can tell from records and stuff he just um uh, he just couldn't click with a family while he knew his family wasn't together yeah uh, it was it was always hard for him to maintain that that falsehood in his mind mhm um and it didn't help that his mom would go on to date and marry abusive men for a number of years. Yeah, that's uh, never any good. Yeah.
1: Also, I think because of the age that his parents split up, um, because my parents split up when I was a, a little bit older than that, but I think that when you're that old, there there's a, a change that happens in... as as kids grow and they get closer to being teenagers and closer to puberty and things, and you recognize and you understand more of the world to where it's... No matter what, you're not going to find that that family click again. It doesn't matter... Like, you're too old at that point to probably, to really feel comfortable. Like, if you have a stepmom, like calling them mom or your stepdad dad or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a big shift at that point. But from the adult's point of view, it's also kind of like, well, you're still a kid. You should, you know, this is how it is or whatever. And kids are at that point old enough to be like, no, that's, that's weird to me. I don't want to do that. Right. (laughs)
0: Um, yeah, so he he would uh, he would various times try to be like no no get back with mom or hey get back with dad, or like hey that dude broke your fucking arm you should leave him yeah and she didn't um <laughs> uh, so he uh, he his dad got full custody at uh, June twenty eighth nineteen seventy nine they have an exact date here for that wow yeah um. I mean, it's probably part of public records. Yeah, it, it is. But it's it's just it's just one of those things. Like it's on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, like, yeah. It's one of those things. Like you're yeah, famous enough to know that. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, uh, while Kurt was living with his dad, he just would started fucking off. He started fucking off a lot, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't say in here, but in um. A biography that I have read, uh, one of a defining moment of his childhood when he was 12 or 13, I believe. He um, actually found one of the older high school kids had committed suicide, and he found the body with a friend or two. Oh, wow. That's and, rough. And he just stared at it for a while. And so that that affected him quite a lot. I think that would affect anyone quite a lot. Yeah, and... Uh,
1: Especially depending on the, the modus operandi of, of the suicide, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I feel like that's worth mentioning. But um, his dad would, after just too much rebellion, too much not, not even trying to fit in with the family dynamic anymore, he ended up going to live with uh, family friend Jesse Reed. And um, they were a devout Christian household. And uh, while Kurt was there, he was a devout Christian. He really tried, because he saw, like, it was a wholesome, wholesome, like, family family unit. He saw that family dynamic again,
1: and he's like, well, maybe if I emulate this, I can find that dynamic again that I want.
0: Right, right. But um, he would... Later, renounce Christianity. I mean, if as you, we all do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> We're not going to get into that right now. But yes, of course he did. <laughs> um, but uh, it said that the song "Lithium" is about his experience there, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, Donald Kurtz's dad was really into sports. There's uh, Mr. Mustache is supposed to be about um, Mm -hmm. Donald. Uh, So if you know that song, it... it, We're probably just
1: gonna yell out song titles throughout this and reference them like you know them. If you don't, that's... Go listen. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, it's so good. You should just be listening anyways.
0: Most of them are less than three minutes long. You can just pause this and make this a whole day experience for you. (laughs) Uh, It'll be worth it. Promise. Yeah, but so... Kurt didn't 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 do sports so much. He was a he was a really gifted artist at a young age. Um, he could draw like Disney characters and uh, would just draw stuff. He liked to draw full cartoons. And um, we've got the Kurt Cobain journals here. He's got mm-hmm. various comics in that. Lots of sketches and comics and things. Yeah,
1: and. Uh, Right here towards the front, we have an awesome picture of Eddie from Iron Maiden with a world cracked apart and intestines spilling out, which yeah. is just one of my favorite sketches
0: ever. It's so cool. It's real good. Um, uh, yeah, he was he was definitely just an artist from a young age, and being a rebellious artist in a smaller logging town was not a good fit for popularity. Um, but one of the things he did to... Um, well, to entertain himself, but it really freaked out his classmates, was he would draw really detailed female anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would, like, do close-ups of the labia and clitoris and just be like, hey, check it out. And, you know, like 14, 15 year- years old, you're like, hey, dude, that's that's odd. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure why you're drawing that, but... Uh, I mean, cool, I guess. Right. <laughs> Um. Oh yeah. Um. It, it talks about a little bit of his spray painting in here, but one of my favorite pieces of vandalism Kurt ever did was uh, one of his neighbors got a boat that he was really, really proud of, like way too proud of. Um. That's at least how it's described. Is that he would just brag about this boat, right? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Classic boat guy. That's what they do. Yeah. And so... Um, brag
1: about their boats and then the, the brag about the trucks that tow the boats. Right. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> um, so what Kurt did was he just spray painted the word boat on the side. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and I think that's the funniest shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, that. Uh, God is gay was one of his favorite uh, graffitis and he'd, he'd put that tag on a lot of places. But the the boat one is my favorite. We should bring that back. Start tagging places with God is gay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Bring it back. God is gay. I mean, I'm not advocating, um, you know, graffiti, but if you're gonna graffiti things, you may as well graffiti God is gay. Yeah,
0: and I am advertising, I am... Words? Advocating (laughs) for a gay God. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Oh my gosh uh, Oh yeah and So uh, God is gay burn the flag Was a song a lyric And uh, stay away And if you listen to the song Burn the flag is not in the song but mm-hmm. it, It's in the, all the lyrics pamphlets But it's not in the song So I think the record label made him take that part out
1: Yeah probably
0: It's um, <laughs> why you
1: always go independent It's why you do things yourself Don't let the man bring you down
0: Unless you want to sell millions and millions of records. Yeah, unless
1: you want to actually make money. Then you listen to what the man says. (laughs) But if you don't care about
0: money... So, uh... (laughs) Through art and electronics classes, Cobain met Roger Buzz Osborne, singer and guitarist of the Melvins. That was a direct quote from the article, but, uh... (laughs) The Melvins were a big thing. They were basically like... Melvins
1: are still a big thing. Yeah,
0: but they were they were a really big thing for Kurt specifically because they were like, you know, high school buddies doing mm-hmm. a band and he could go hang out with them. Yeah. He wasn't ever considered good enough to play with them. Um, they just wouldn't... They he, he just hung around for practice. And... Uh, Living that groupy life. Yeah, basically. Um, but the Melvins had uh, an environment, basically like we did when we were first playing, where we just they just had a place where people could come hang out while they jammed. Yeah. And uh, Kurt was always there. God, I-, I miss those days. Just have fucking 30
1: people crammed in my little fucking tiny room while we play music.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. I miss being that drunk all the time, if I'm being honest. I don't even drink right now, but I, I I just don't have the the time or lack of responsibilities to do that sort of thing anymore. My I, body is failing me, so. <laughs> um. So, uh, when he realized he didn't have enough credits to graduate from high school, he dropped out. Mm-hmm. Like he did, he didn't want to do another year to get the credits he needed, so he he just stopped. Um, That's what I did too. <laughs> um. So his mom gave him an ultimatum after that, which was find employment or leave. He's bounced around so many houses through high school. If I went through actually all the places he stayed and all the people like he hung out with that we would we would be here for a lot longer than an hour or an hour and a half. Right. Um I figured the the Reed family was important to bring up because of the God connection and God was mm-hmm. actually still very present in a lot of Nirvana's songs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it clearly
1: yeah, like it had a big influence on on him. Right. Much right. like hanging out with the Melvins
0: had a, a big influence on him. Yeah. Um but so when he didn't find a job within like a week he just like started cow chopping again. And um this is the period of time where he said he would um live on the banks of the Wishka under the bridge. Mm-hmm. and um, From the from, muddy banks of the Wishka. From the muddy banks of the Wishka. Yep, that's a live album. Go check it out. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, but uh, Chris Novoselic, the future bassist for Nirvana, would say uh, he hung out there, but you couldn't live on those muddy banks with the tides coming up and down. That was his own revisionism.
1: <laughs>
0: so, yeah. Um, uh, he, just, he probably meant it in a way of like he was there no, so much n- no no he he was very clear about living under that bridge in various interviews um then this is this is a pattern with kurt is um while he didn't have the best childhood a lot of that was self-inflicted and not not like from uh an understanding i'm gonna do this to make me miserable kind of thing but like in in a way that if he had taken another decision it wouldn't have been so bad. He didn't have to make it so bad. And um a lot of times there were there there were just options that he could have had that he chose not to take because he disagreed. Yeah. And uh, that that obstinance alone would be a cause for a lot of his misery, but in retelling the stories of his youth he would often um exacerbate or exaggerate those the the negative parts. So it sounded like he was just under the bridge for like a year or like uh, he never had any food or like, you know, he he always found a place to stay. He always had somebody willing to take care of him until he was too much because he just didn't give a shit a lot of the time. Um, I'm not trying to speak ill of the dead. I'm just... It's it's pure statement of facts. Yeah, I'm just trying to... It's one of our h-
1: main heroes in life. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs>
0: huge, huge influence and in hero for me. Um, but uh, in late 1986, Cobain moved into an apartment. Um, and he... Well, he fucked this apartment up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he... Around this time, he would start to go to Olympia uh, frequently to get to concerts, and there he met Tracy Miranda. And Tracy Miranda is the song, or is the girl in the song About a Girl, Mm -hmm. Um, which is pretty, pretty influential. Uh, It's uh, one of the first singles off of Bleach that wasn't a cover. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe the only single off of Bleach that wasn't a cover, actually. Um, Because the main one from Bleach was Love Buzz. And he actually did not want to do that one. Uh, He didn't want to put that out as a single because it was uh, a cover of an older song, I think, of the 60s. I think so. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, Miranda was super patient with Kurt. Um, would do things like work a lot of hours so they could maintain their apartment. And instead of, um, you know, helping out with that, Kurt would lay around and write music or get high, yeah. you know. Um, and at this time, it I don't think... Standard he,
1: struggling artist things. Yeah,
0: and I don't think he was... a doing hard drugs at this point but he was definitely experimenting with hallucinogens which he had been doing since high school um and smoking a lot of weed and drinking a lot of booze yeah uh but she would leave him notes little to-do lists um because that's the only way she could get him to do anything and you know she'd be at work all day Mm -hmm. um But she didn't even know about a girl was about her until years after his death. Which is a crazy thing. Yeah. Um, Because she's credited for taking the cover photo for Bleach. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And that kid, I
1: can't, the whole thing with him trying to come out and say that that scarred him for life or whatever, that's some
0: bullshit. Yeah. Um, uh soon after a separation from Miranda, uh he dated Toby Vale, an influential punk zine star of the Riot Girl band, uh Bikini Kill. And I mean, if you know punk from this era, you know Bikini Kill. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> fucking killer. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he it said that he threw up like Stan for Wendy, like straight up just was so overcome by his affection for her that he threw up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, oh, geez. This is why I need to make the notes beforehand. Um, the first demo recorded by um, Kurt and Chris and their First drummer? There's a T at the end of his name. I know, but (laughs) he changed the spelling so people would know to say it Chris. (laughs) Uh, He didn't change it back to the original um, Icelandic, I think, um, until uh, the second or third album. I always just assumed that you enunciated the T. No, no, he, like, that's why if you go back, if you look on even the title credits of Bleach, it's C H R I S. Hmm. And I think it is Chris. Okay. Um,. But, Silent tea. Interesting. Yeah, uh, Some of the best tea is. <laughs> Check it out, honey. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, the first demo they recorded was under the name Fecal Matter. And uh, if you get the Sliver Best of the Box or the Sliver Box Set, mm-hmm. um, you can hear a lot of those demos. And uh, the... The nirvana sound is there it's already oh, yeah. it it's all in kurt's guitar and vocals and the 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 pop and bass is already on there it's like oh, oh so it's good all it's all right there it it's too bad it sounds so diy yeah well it was yeah but it uh it, it would have been cool to have some of those like redone yeah remastered yeah um
1: Because then they got oh, I can never
0: remember the name of their first drummer uh, Chad Kroger was one, but uh, Dale Crover, uh also and, um and it took um it took a year or two of Kurt convincing Chris to do the fecal matter e p with him um <laughs> let me do the EP. yeah we can
1: play music what do you want to call the band fecal matter <laughs> <laughs>
0: not sure anymore <laughs> um so uh the the first drummer to um be on the album with them was Chad Channing, yeah. Um, who he's the one
1: after he left, he went on to go into the army, I believe.
0: Uh, yes. Uh, I think he was in Soundgarden for a minute too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that dude's got to have an interesting biography in itself. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I, I think there was a, a drummer or two before and after him, but, uh, eventually they got Dave Grohl and Dave Grohl, um, Kurt Cobain actually said was their dream drummer. Mm-hmm. He had all the influences that they did. They had um he could yell and play drums like it was exactly what Kurt was looking for. So I am seeing
1: five drummers credited for drumming for Nirvana at various points. Obviously we got Dave Grohl. We have Chad Channing. We have Dale no Not Dale Crover, although he is sitting behind a drum kit, so I assume, even though it doesn't say drums. Oh, I think uh, he was drumming for the Melvins. Uh, um, Dan Peters and Aaron Burkhardt and Dave Foster. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know in in which order they appeared. I remember Chad Channing and, obviously, Dave Grohl as being the final drummer. Yeah. If you don't know who Dave Grohl is, shame. Fie and shame. (laughs) Uh, Not a big Foo
0: Fighters fan, but you still got to know who he is. I mean, yeah, and uh, what was it? The Stone Temple Pilots as well? Is that him? Uh, Is that him? He did another big 90s band. Um, But, yeah, so the first album, Bleach, was pretty successful for being an underground label. Um, It was released by Sub Pop, I believe. Or yeah. the single was at least for Love Buzz was released by Sub Pop. Um, no, it wasn't Dave Grohl. But did you know that Chester Bennington
1: was a lead singer for Stone Temple Pilots at I one point? I did not.
0: What uh, was Dave Grohl had another big band, and I can't remember what it was right I don't now. Know. I just I didn't know Chester Bennington was
1: part of Stone <laughs> Temple Pilots. That just blew my fucking mind. That's fun. <laughs> um,
0: so uh, yeah, Bleach. Pretty successful for being a uh, debut album, and uh, especially for the genre it was in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't open, like, all the doors yet. That wouldn't come until they released 1991's... Incesticide? No! no the other one. That's 93, Incesticide was. Yeah, come on. Ah. Uh, come on. The, it's the big one. It's the big one. The n- Nude baby on the front. That sued later. yeah. Never mind. Yeah, never go. mind.
1: <laughs> so I mainly listened to from the Money Banks of the Wishcaw and Bleach. So
0: <laughs> It's funny cuz uh, Incesticide uh, was not as big of an album because it wasn't actually a studio album. It was like a collection of B-sides and covers. And they even put Downer on it again, which was an album or which was the final song on Bleach. Yeah. Um, Downer's one of my favorites uh but i thought it was weird that they released it twice no changes or anything whereas uh polly a hit from nevermind was um sped up sped up uh, by a lot by a lot um and so it it was just weird to hear the same song again exactly mm-hmm. the same but uh that that album is probably my favorite uh i like the weird fucking songs on there mhm it's so good um but Nevermind would destroy charts yeah. with uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit was the number one track and uh, it blew up it basically was what cemented them as quote the flagship band of Generation X um, I was dancing to that song in my walker
1: when it come on MTV like right. when I was too young to to walk on my
0: own <laughs> Yeah, so that's, and that music video too was, it wasn't like revolutionary, but the fact that there was a music video for a song like that Mm -hmm. was in and of itself revolutionary. Oh, and the style of video that it was, because
1: it, videos from that era were very bright and very poppy and open and things that video was dark it was gritty it was kind of gross it w- was like the, the high school gymnasium and the cheerleaders are dancing but you're watching it and you're like that that's a dingy school that's not a school that you want to be going to you know like it 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 had such a tone overall not just from the song but the video itself held so much of a
0: story so much life in it yeah and, um, personal uh Side story, I really want to get those cheerleading outfits and do a dab show in them. Oh, that would be great.
1: Yeah. That, that's, that's a point I was going to end up talking about was how he was also one of those people. He did not care about the gender norms or anything. He'd show up on stage in dresses and skirts and just whatever the fuck he wanted to wear. Yeah, David Bowie
0: was a huge influence on him, and uh, he even recreated the, the man who sold the world... <sighs> It's not the name of the album, but the album that was on, David Bowie's In a Dress in a Bathtub. Mm-hmm. You can find the um, a near-photo-perfect imitation of that picture on uh, the In Utero uh, art, mm-hmm. uh, where he is in the same position in pretty close to the same dress. And so that's a, yeah, that's a really big thing for Kurt was... Like, he did not care about that. Now, a lot of that was probably his dad's hyper-masculine influence. hmm uh,
1: I'll never forget. There was this one interview that was one of my favorites that was done, and uh, it was on, I don't know, MTV or VH1 or some something like that. But it, Kurt Cobain is sitting on this couch. Those and, channels don't do music. And this, Not anymore, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but he was sitting on this couch talking to an interview, and he's wearing, like, this Elton John-esque huge bright yellow like it's like a suit but it's also got the overcoat and it has the huge collar that comes up (laughs) around his head and these dark sunglasses on but the whole thing is just bright fucking sunshine yellow (laughs) and i will never forget that i was just like that is awesome (laughs)
0: like i that's so cool (laughs) um Part of part of the way Kurtz influenced me in that in the dress sense is that uh, if I ever get sunglasses, I get way too much for my sunglasses. I don't pay too much for them. I always get cheap sunglasses. But like uh, my favorite pair of sunglasses that he ever wore was these. Big white ones, and they're pretty popularized at this point. Oh but, yeah, the big chunky boys. Yeah, I think it was those were the sunglasses he was wearing when he wore the bright yellow suit for that interview. Yeah, and um, so whenever when if you ever see me in sunglasses, they're usually like women's sunglasses in oh, quotes. Yeah, and like just just too much for everything else I'm wearing, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in response to him. Like the in response to the overwhelming media attention after Nevermind, Kurt Cobain said, "When you're in the public eye, you have no choice but to be raped over and over again. They'll take every ounce of blood out of you until you're exhausted. I'm looking forward to the future. It will only be another year, and then everyone will forget about it <laughs> but he didn't he didn't like being that figure he didn't like being the representative of a generation yeah that wasn't something he was ever looking for he just wanted to play music yeah um and he felt like the success undermined nirvana and what they stood for which okay i i couldn't understand having that feeling
1: (laughs) that makes sense to me
0: (laughs) i could definitely see that yeah um he didn't like the way, um, he was misinterpreted often, and, uh, especially about social and political stuff, because he was, as we were just kind of touching on, a really vocal, um, opponent of sexism, racism, um, sexual assault, homophobia, Mm -hmm. um, misogyny. Misogyny in general, yeah. Um,
1: he was what do they call it um, a friend an ally an ally uh, and he
0: was he was an ally he was also very bisexual mm-hmm. at the very least um, <laughs> there's uh, various stories of his later life with Cor- Courtney where they would both go and get um, to a couple and then they would like be with the same gendered, part of that couple and just like alleyways and stuff mm-hmm. and like that was that was a popular thing for them to do not popular but like a common thing. a common thing yeah um
1: keenan just turned into a vacuum cleaner <laughs> now he's just a foghorn
0: Lead Belly. Lead be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> I, was, I was I was, trying to think of the next point to make, but um, one of Kurt's biggest influences was uh, Leadbelly. Belly. Uh, fuck, what is his full name? Will you look that up really yeah, fast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Because
0: um, he, he deserves his full name Said Lead Belly was um, a massively influential... Um, uh black blues artist, and when I say maf- massively influ- influential, I mean he wrote "Whoa, Black Betty, Bam Bam," "Whoa, Black Betty, Bam Bam." <laughs> uh, that's how that song went. If you listen, you can find the old recording of Lead Belly doing that, and it is just him mm-hmm. the whole time. And it's oh, and you know, that may have been popularized by other bands later, but. He he wrote that song, and um, they covered uh, various Lead Belly songs, including "Where Did You Sleep Last Night," which was um, on the Unplugged. Yes, yes. And uh, "Ain't It a Shame," which was one of my very favorite songs, and I can actually I play "Ain't It a Shame" when I'm bored. I love that song, Um, but the the fact that he was such a big fan of Leadbelly influenced him. Huddy a lot.
1: Huddy William Ledbetter.
0: There we are. Um Yeah. Uh, he was a massively influential artist for Kurt and uh
1: For lots and lots of artists.
0: Yeah. But uh Kurt went out of his way to meet him on his estate and uh did actually ask him to be the old man on the cross in the Art Shape Box music video. Leadbelly turned him down. He was a very old man. <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, they both claim they didn't talk about heroin at all, despite how big of a part of their lives it was for a long time for Lead Belly and actively for Kurt at the time that he met him. Mm-hmm. So I, I I choose to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they they
1: say they didn't, then there's no reason for them to lie about that.
0: No. Um, but yeah, I I that's the only reason I know who Lead Belly is is because I was obsessed with Kurt mm mm-hmm. um but if you don't know who lad belly is go go go, go, go listen go, go um, listen we're giving you lots of musical influence in this episode yeah it's he's a really important artist of the nineteen hundreds yeah huge, huge yeah um but do 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 uh back to nineteen ninety uh Toby Vale and um him collaborated on a musical project called Bathtub is Real in which they both sang and played guitar and drums. Um, so that, that that's that's all there is for that honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well some of those projects, you know, they became just like nothing burgers essentially. Yeah. Uh, but they were, it's, it's fun, you can, uh, like, if you think you've run out of music by your favorite artists, go see their weird collaborations, because most of them have them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and there's always fun new stuff in those collaborations. Sometimes
1: they cover their own old songs, sometimes they're doing brand new stuff. There's always fun,
0: fun things to find. Indeed. Um. Yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not that. Look, if that didn't influence you at some point in your life, you're lying.
1: No, I'm just, I'm just saying that <laughs> if, if, there's only so much we can get away with in the in the <laughs> musical stuff that we can.
0: Is that not public domain? That has to be public domain at this point. I don't
1: know, man. It might be, I guess.
0: If Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is public domain. Uh, and so, yeah, after, after Nevermind came out, they were hugely successful to a degree that Kurt didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that may have been an influence on why incesticide was all the weird stuff. It makes sense to me. And,
1: and, uh, also another reason to like delve further down into like the drugs and things like that. When you were trying to hide from that spotlight, you don't want to be part of it.
0: Right. And while you're in massive amounts of pain and people are telling you that you are things that you're not, and all you've ever wanted to do was express yourself honestly, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to reconcile those things, especially when you come from a, like, underground background and you wanted to maintain that vibe and aesthetic because that's what you feel yeah it's hard to it's hard to conflate that with also having millions of dollars yeah and being I mean
1: a huge you know famous uh, like like a hero to, to so many people when you don't see yourself as being worthy of any of that
0: yeah yeah it's a uh, It'd be a big, big weird thing. Yeah. Big, weird thing. Um, It'd be like if we suddenly got famous and
1: everyone wanted to come meet us and see us and and we would be like, um, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know what kind
0: of gear I have. Go away. (laughs) That's the only thing I've been asked at our shows, honestly. Um, Many times people have asked, oh, what kind of pickups do you have in your base? I'm like... The ones that came in it, they don't seem to have a label on them, so uh, don't don't know. Black ones. Yeah.
1: At least my pickups say BC Rich. They can ask me. I can be like, the whole thing's BC Rich. Got it. Done. Yeah. BC Rich, you want to sponsor me?
0: I love your guitars. Big talk rich. <laughs> well, now um. they're never gonna sponsor. <laughs> no, they'll sponsor me because I'm complimenting. <laughs> No, I'll take an epiphone. I love my BC Riches. <laughs> they they've treated me well. Um, so there's there's a few different accounts about uh, uh Kurt Cobain first met Courtney Love. Um in the Charles R. Cross Cobain biography, which is um where I pull a lot of my like first hand information from or like first uh memory, first hand memory mm-hmm. information from. uh has Love, I'm going to quote here, Has Love and Cobain meeting at the same Satyricon nightclub venue in Portland but a different Nirvana show, January 12, 1990. And there's another one, um... 1989? Uh, they met? Hmm. Um So, there's there's differing accounts of when they actually met. Yeah. But, um... It, Courtney... Seems to have made the first move while um, Cobain was a bit distant to start, which seems interesting. Um,
1: it does, but it also seems to that that just seems to be his like that's just how he was. It seems to me
0: right. But uh, here's here's a quote. Um, I. I was determined to be a bachelor for a few months, ellipses, but I knew that I liked Courtney so much right away that it was a really hard struggle to stay away from her for so many months. Fair. Uh. As you do. Um, and a further differing account has uh, Everett True, who is an associate of both Cobain and Love, disputes those versions of events in his 2006 book, claiming that he himself introduced the couple on May 17th, 1991. So one or two years after they were to have originally met, according to two different biographers who did intense study, as opposed to this guy's memory. So I'm going to go with one of those biographies is probably more correct.
1: It also just sounds like, and, I mean... That book didn't come out till 2006, which is well beyond, you know, any time that he would have been around to say anything otherwise. Yeah. But it seems to me that, that that's the kind of thing where people are just trying to get cash grab. Yeah.
0: Um, so there was a on February 24th, 1992, um, after a Nirvana tour, Cobain and Love were married on Waikiki Beach in Hawaii. Hawaii. Hawaii in Waikiki Beach. (laughs) 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 Good lord. Uh, So, this is interesting. I don't know if I actually knew this. I probably heard it, but, um, Love wore a satin and lace dress once owned by Francis Farmer, um, Francis Farmer will have a revenge on Seattle. Yeah, uh, song. That is a song. Oh my God, <laughs> I I knew what you meant. <laughs> and co- <laughs> just, just ran, say a string of words and then you stop. Song. <laughs> <laughs> that was the song I just wrote. It is a song. I've decided it now.
1: Song. <laughs> That's how we do things now. We just say sentences and then we go song.
0: <laughs> Music but, complete. Cobain donned a Guatemalan purse and wore green pajamas because he had been, quote, too lazy to put on a tux. (laughs) There were eight people at the ceremony.
1: You know, you don't always need a huge wedding. And he definitely seemed like the kind of person that would
0: have hated a huge wedding. Absolutely. Um, Love said she was warned by the Sonic Youth bassist Kim Gordon that marrying Cobain would destroy her life, in quotes. Love responded, quote, "Whatever, I love him, and I want to be with him." Ellipses. It wasn't his fault. He wasn't trying to do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What? Uh he
1: wasn't trying to destroy her life. Maybe. I've I've always felt really weird about the Courtney Love thing, which we'll get into in, a, in, a, in later down the road. Absolutely.
0: Mm. Um. But uh, their daughter was born. Frances Bean Cobain, uh, August 18th, 1992. So, she's
1: almost exactly a year younger than me.
0: And uh, just a, a little bit, of like, nine months or so older than me. Yeah. Oh, she was born around the time I was conceived? <laughs> weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's literally a year and eight days younger than me. Yeah,
0: that's it. <laughs> she's right between us, which is weird. <laughs> I don't know. In the early weeks of her pregnancy, uh, Love and Cobain were on a definite drug binge, which is a weird thing to admit. <laughs> uh, not anymore. Not anymore, <laughs> no. But, like, at the time. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, but, uh... The... The... She was originally given to Courtney's sister because of their drug usage. Mm-hmm. Um... it when so it kind of just brushes past that
1: uh, <laughs> like, yeah you don't 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 worry about that little guy, don't worry about that little guy,
0: but uh it moves on to his sexuality in this article, and um uh, when asked by monk magazine, well, are you gay, Cobain replied, If I wasn't attracted to Courtney, I'd be a bisexual, so he was bisexual, yeah, <laughs> he just uh, had he was in love with Courtney, so, mm-hmm. yeah, um he also said to The Advocate, I'm definitely gay in spirit, and I could probably could be bisexual. If I wouldn't have found Courtney, I probably would have carried on with a bisexual lifestyle. There you go, then. Yeah. That's point blank right there. Yeah. Um, one of his personal journals states, I am not gay, although I wish I were just to piss off homophobes. <laughs> which is really just indicative of his entire way of life absolutely he would have sucked so many dicks to piss off his dad <laughs> sorry Donald sorry
1: Kurt's laughing at that joke <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He just gave you a spiritual high five. Ah, <laughs> oh, I wasn't ready. He's <laughs> right in the face. Yeah. Should have had a V8 style. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh,
0: so. The, the liner notes for incesticide included uh, this statement. If any of you, in any way, hate homosexuals, people of different color, or women, please do n- us one favor: leave us the fuck alone. Don't come to our shows and don't buy our records. I love that quote it's so much. So it's so good. One of my favorite quotes of all time. It's so good. Um, and I, this this isn't relevant to his sexuality, but uh, I just it just sparked a memory. Um, it, it was reported by a couple of sources that he is. Oh my gosh excuse me, um, that he had actually stopped shows because there were too many BMWs in the parking lot <laughs> and just refused to play. <laughs> that is something I personally love. Yeah, that's real good. It's real good. Yeah.
1: I imagine him like, all right, guys, we are ready to go on? And Kurt's like, hang on a minute. Runs out to the parking lot and he's counting. And he's like, How many fucking fancy cars are out here? Nope, we're not fucking playing, guys. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Is that a fucking Mercedes? <laughs> fucking get in the van, we're leaving. We're gonna go to that dive bar a couple blocks down. We'll just set up and play there. They'll take us. They'll take us. I, yeah, I'm not doing this. If they don't, I'll suck a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Courtney, cover your eyes. You don't want to see this. (laughs) Uh, From the sound of other things I've read, it seems like she was very into that. (laughs) Um, uh, According to The Telegraph and anybody who can read, Cobain had depression. (laughs) (laughs) It says according to The Telegraph, like a publication could tell above everybody. That dude was sad. to his music. Yeah, that dude was upset most of the time. Um, literally listen to pick a song. Any song, you'll hear it. Pick a song, any song. You got depression, depression yeah. I got some <laughs> depression. I got some I got some angst, some depression, some um anger. Anger, anger. Even the even the
1: covers, yeah. Just held that emotional quality about them
0: constantly. Yeah. Uh he did suffer from chronic bronchitis and um his his stomach pain was never properly diagnosed. Um it sounds a lot like when you go to the doctor for your stomach pains. It does sound a lot um, like that. But I also think that um, at a certain point, he wasn't really looking for a solution outside of the ones that he'd found. I also understand. Once you've gone to enough
1: doctors and tried and tried and tried, and for years all you get is, and we're sorry, we have no idea, You, it's very discouraging. You, You give up after a while. That's fair. Um I know I've, I that's a struggle that I've done for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so we're we're just going to get into the closer to the end of his life here. Um, well, I mean, we're getting yeah, we are getting close, so. <laughs> yeah, um so he had multiple overdoses in the last couple years of his life. Um that took him to rehabs which he would either leave because they were voluntary or um escape from (laughs) physically escape from (laughs) um and he i think he did even complete one full rehab course once but as soon as he was out it was like less than a week and he was back doing stuff Mm -hmm. and um there is it's pretty widely accepted that um Courtney Love had never tried heroin until she got with Kurt mm-hmm. and that seems to have fucked her up quite a lot as it does as uh, smelly from noFX put in the noFX book that uh, when when he had cleaned up he went and saw her because they had you know toured and played together a few times and like had at least a working friendship. Um there was a time where he went to see her and she was just so fucked up and she had Francis at the time and mm-hmm. was just my baby, where's my baby? And like right in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> like it just bad yeah. Bad times. So um she had a really hard time um with both the drugs that were brought into her life from Kurt and Kurt's exit from her life. Yeah. uh, It really seems like... It really seems like Kurt kind of ruined her life in a lot of ways. She was warned. Yeah, she was. Um, But it was... It's just kind of a huge, huge uh, impact. Heroin. Ugh. so, this is, this is the part where it gets weird. Um, I'd like to preface his, his um, death here with the fact that uh, his family had a uh, long history of mental illness, depression, and even suicide by gunshot. Yeah. Um, where, I believe, on his mother's side, two of his uncles had committed suicide believe on his mother's side. I it's definitely in here. It's just it's, it's it's somewhere in there. Yeah. Um either way, he did have two people he knew in his life that were related to him by blood take their own lives with guns. Um and fuck April 4th, 1994 he went with a friend and got a shotgun. Mm -hmm. He then kind of just went off radar for a while. Courtney was busy doing something somewhere else, and uh, he was at home alone. April 6, 1994... A cleaner for the Cobain household found Kurt in the, gr- in the room above the garage, which was his preferred hangout space, um, with 1.5 milligrams of heroin in his bloodstream. Which, which is, is a fucking lot. It's roughly three times the lethal dose of heroin for a normal user. But this was at a time where Kurt was literally doing thousands of dollars of heroin a day. Um, Next to his body, um, they found a a very clear suicide note. But it wasn't addressed to whom it may concern. It wasn't addressed to mom and dad. It wasn't addressed to Courtney or Francis. It was addressed to his childhood imaginary friend, Bada and you you can find the the actual suicide note it's mm-hmm. it's widely available if you
1: if you feel like reading it yeah. i i don't think we're going to read it
0: we're we're not going to read the whole thing um certainly not um but if if you get the journals, we we both have the Kurt Cobain Journals, which is a widely publicized book. Um, it's
1: a collection of pretty much all of his notebooks and diaries and things and all, all of everything that he had written out, and they, they gathered up all of his notebooks. A lot of them are just straight photocopies. There, You still see the, the ring binding and the pictures and stuff. Like, It's... an extremely interesting read and if you're a fan of Kurt Cobain at all I highly suggest you find this book and and you you read it
0: right Um, and well one of the key points about that existing is that while the the lettering on the suicide note is um, heavier Mm -hmm. it's clearly written with a heavy heavy hand it, it is his handwriting. There's there's no disputing that that was written by him. There's no disputing that the whole thing is depressed. There's... There's just... There's no arguing that Kurt didn't write that note in his own words from his own hand. Yeah. Uh,
1: I think I would agree with that.
0: Uh... The, one of the final lines is, um, keep going, Courtney, for Francis. Her life will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. I, I know there's a lot of controversy around this, um, including, um, Courtney Love's own father has made a documentary wherein he believes that Courtney had something to do with it. I have always held a belief that she had something to do with it as well. Um, One of the key pieces for that is that um, if they were to divorce, she wasn't going to get a whole lot of... um, financial compensation comparatively because I believe of because of a prenuptial agreement but um, being the sole inheritor of his estate would be a different story mm-hmm. um,
1: the way the gun was positioned when they found him and the fact that he would have had an extremely hard time shooting himself if it was held in the way that they found him, he would have essentially had to have like pulled the trigger with his toe and that's not really how the gun was laid
0: out. I uh, that, I personally as a huge devotee to Nirvana and Kurt Cobain believe wholeheartedly he took that gun and shot himself in the mouth. I believe he did not have the willpower to keep going he never was able to get past his his
1: his, his de- pain his pain and his depression and and I'm not saying I don't think and and as a a younger person I was very she did it and I was it was like a but but now that I'm older I think that if she and I still tend to think that she had a hand in it, definitely. But I don't think it was a, such a, a malicious thing. I think that if she had a hand in it, it was almost like an assisted suicide type. Were, it, it, she maybe thought she was helping him, helping release him from the pain he was having in, in the world. That he was having trouble dealing with and couldn't take anymore. Like, I, I when I was younger, I was definitely like, "Oh, it was a malicious thing, and she killed him and whatnot." No, I nowadays I don't think that same way, but that's not to say that she didn't have a hand in what happened. I... And obviously, you would deny, deny, deny because you get in fucking trouble for that, and then.
0: And then It's all for naught anyways. Right. Um, I want to make a couple corrections here because a lot of what I've said was based on memory. It was an electrician who found him, not a cleaner, and it was on April 8th, apparently. Okay. I I thought it was April 6th, but, um, you know. Yeah. Memory. But... um, I'm gonna be honest. A lot of this stuff is still hard for me to go over. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that, but oh, I I can tell in your voice. I can <laughs> always tell in your voice. I'm like, oh, it's getting heavy. Yeah, but um, yeah. The his estimated death was on April 5th. Wow. So he was there for three days.
1: Right. That's all the way through rigor mortis. That's leading into bloating.
0: Yeah. Um. I wonder. So, uh. On April, on April 3rd, Love had hired a private investigator, Tom Grant, to try to find Cobain. Yeah. Because he had been just not around so often. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend named Dylan Carlson, uh, was the person who either bought the gun or was with him when he bought the gun, um...
1: I just... I mean, it's just hard for me to think that with them being the way they were together, that she didn't have any part of it.
0: I... See, and my my feeling on this comes from... Uh, honestly, some of it comes from Smelly's reports in the No Effects books, um, and the way she was after his death didn't feel guilt ridden. It mm-hmm. felt depressed, and I, I believe she really did want to help him. Yeah. Um. M- maybe if. If she had something to do with it, maybe this was the way she thought would be helping in, in in a different way. That's what
1: I said. I think that if she had a hand in it, it was not a malicious thing. It was an assisted suicide kind of thing where when it got to that point and he couldn't handle it, anything anymore... Maybe they agreed as both of them that it might be the the easier way, and then obviously she goes off to go do her own thing in the background or whatever, so she has that alibi, and she you know doesn't end up going
0: to jail or getting in trouble or you know what I mean right, and um you can go on Netflix or Hulu or so many places and you can find documentaries specifically about this part of Cobain's life. Oh yeah. Just just the death and like I said there is that one that has Courtney Love's own father saying that yeah she, she probably had something to do with this. Mm-hmm. And it's like we could have done an entire episode about nothing
1: but just his death.
0: Yeah. But his his life was so impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a shame that so much has to be focused on that. He everything
1: that Kurt Cobain did, he did a hundred and ten percent with every bit of himself. He would throw all of himself into whatever he decided was worth his time.
0: Right. Even if it was only three things, it, he did all of those things and, with all of
1: him. Um. There's one of my favorite pictures of him is he had just walked off stage and was just so overwhelmed by the emotion of everything going on, by the music, by the crowd, by by everything. There's just this image of him sitting just off the stage with his back just up against the, the, the stage and... He just has one hand in his face, and he's bawling, tears just down his face. And it is both an extremely sad picture, but it's also, to me, a very inspiring picture because it's, it shows that no matter what was happening, he was not afraid to feel just as much as he would throw himself into everything. He felt all of those emotions, and he let himself feel all of that. That was okay. And and he talked about that a few times throughout his life as well, how if you are feeling these emotions, let them out. Yeah. It's not... You have to let that out. Otherwise, it's just going to bottle up. Yeah. It's like his same philosophy on music, which is a philosophy that I love, is just the, like, it doesn't matter the words that you're saying it mat- what matters is the intent the emotion, the message behind those words the words themselves are but a vessel it's, it's the intent and the emotion that actually matters and I love
0: that, yeah. I think that's amazing I think it's beautiful it's really well said um, I want to get a couple of quotes in here um, Dave Grohl said the news of Cobain's death was quote Probably the worst thing that has happened to me in my life. I remember the day after that, I woke up and I was heartbroken that he was gone. I just felt like, okay, so I get to wake up today and have another day, and he doesn't. Um, and uh, Mr. Reed, his foster father mm-hmm. for a time, um, said that, quote, he had the desperation, not the courage, to be himself. Once you do that, you can't go wrong because you can't make any mistakes when people love you for being yourself. But for Kurt, it didn't matter that other people loved him. He simply didn't love himself enough. Mm hmm. Uh, so there were a lot of visuals. There was a lot of a lot of tribute paid. Oh yeah. Um well,
1: there still is to this day.
0: Yeah. And
1: some better than others. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and now, like, it, it might be bad, but, like, uh, there was the, that bit in South Park a few years ago when they did the, there was, like, a Christmas special episode. And um, they kept bringing back all of the dead celebrities as holograms. They brought back Michael Jackson, and they brought back Tupac after Michael Jackson. Jackson escaped the hologram escaped and ran away and they brought Tupac's hologram back to chase down right. Michael Jackson hologram. But in the middle of that, they one of the holograms they had was the Kurt Cobain hologram and he was singing um some Christmas song, the one about Santa up on the rooftop. Yeah. I and mean. then he pulls out the shotgun and click click click. as he's putting the shotgun show on the gun and like obviously that's a joke that's kind of in poor taste, but <laughs> It's something that now I can, I I can laugh at that. Like it is objectively funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it great? Not
0: really, but it is funny. Um. So this is a weirdly good quote from Lars Ulrich of all people, Yeah. of Metallica, if you're unaware. No. I, I, know, I know you're aware. I was <laughs> saying that for the listeners.
1: I'm just thinking of uh. anyone who might not know who Lars Ulrich is. Like, what? <laughs> an, an insane amount of people. I'm just just, just a gladiator. You ever heard of Napster, friends? <laughs> you ever wonder why they're
0: not a thing anymore? Maybe go ask him. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, he reflected on Cobain's influence, stating that, quote, with Kurt Cobain, you felt you were connecting to the real person, not a perception of who he was. You were not connecting to an image or a manufactured cutout. You felt that between you and him, there was nothing. It was a heart-to-heart. There are very few people that have that ability. And, uh... Honestly, I think that's a pretty good pretty good quote to end on. I think on. that's a good capper, yeah. Um. So...
1: Know that if any of you think that anything we said was in poor taste, we love this man very much. Legitimately, like, love love Kurt Cobain. And uh, he will forever live on th- in our hearts and through everything that we do. Yeah. We will carry that forever.
0: One, we, we as a band, disappointing at best, uh, plug us at the end because <laughs> yeah. we have to, but um, one of the only covers we do is Polly. Mhm. I um, uh, it's Kirk Cobain was a legend. Is a legend. He yeah. will forever remain a legend. And you know, I don't I don't lost all of them too soon. Yeah. Um so if
1: I I guess I'm sorry to end it on such a heavy note there, but yeah, I I
0: Yes, if if anything go listen to Nirvana. Yeah, go just enjoy. Go find the box ones you can look up the Sliver box set recordings on YouTube and just go listen to the raw shit. Mm-hmm. Go listen to the original lyrics smells like teen spirit. Go go listen to the muddy banks of the Wishkah. If you've ever ever wanted to play a music, pick a pick it up. pick up at anything you don't have to do much to make a thing just love what you're doing and do it Mm -hmm. and if there's one thing we can learn from him it's that definitely do everything 110 percent